We often think that God's love for us is based on some kind of merit, where when we have a great day, then God loves us a lot, and when we're having a rough day, God doesn't love us at all. That's not what the Bible teaches, nor is what Jesus lived out. As a matter of fact, Jesus loved the lowest and the least, the people that had less to give to him than those that thought they had everything to give him. Think about the sinners that he loved so much that he came for. And think about the Pharisees who he had to fight almost on every turn. God decided that he would love you with an everlasting love. So God loves you on your good days and your bad days, no matter how you've been. Let's look at what happens when we act like the prodigal and God goes and gets us. My name is Trey Rhodes and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Northwood Baptist Church and it's good to have you along as we continue our Pastor's Sermon Series. And if you would like and, and you're listening to this podcast, the way that it works is that what we do is we study what our pastor, Pastor Tommy Metter, preached last week. And so what we do is we go back uh, to the sermon from last week and you can do that too. Just go on YouTube and look up Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina and uh, Tommy Metter, Dr. Tommy Metter will come up and you can listen to his message. And then when you listen to the message, you can come back and help us uh, go through the Word of God. Then you can use this material and what we go over here to help teach a small group. Uh, what we do is we do what we call OIA, Observe, Interpret, and Apply, where we'll look at the passage and basically ask the who, what, when, where, why, and how questions. We'll get know the background of what's behind it, which is usually in your study Bible. And if you don't have a study Bible, you can use the internet or your cell phone or whatever to get information about what that, that chapter is about or what that book of the Bible is about. And then once you do that, you can begin to say, what does this word say? What is it saying? And use the text to help you determine that. Once you do that, then you say, okay, if, if that's what it says, then what does it mean? And it's always going to do two things. It's always going to incur, it's going to talk to us in our Christian walk. And it's also going to help us know who Christ is and God in Christ, who the Father is and who Christ the Son is, and of course, the Holy Spirit of God. So uh, that's how you do it. And you kind of put it all together. And finally, you say, okay, then how does this apply to me? What, if that's what it is saying, and that's what it means, then once we understand and we make that 2,000-year leap from what they received it as, we are able to understand how it applies to us. And it keeps you from a lot of mistakes and it keeps you from a lot of issues with interpreting things improperly because we have to understand what it meant to the audience for us to be able to apply it to our life. So once we can understand what it meant to the audience, then we can come back and say, okay, what does this mean for me? Well, today we're going to talk about the love of God and how God loves you. And it all is built around Luke chapter 15. And we're going to be looking at the prodigal, looking at the prodigal. So go ahead and turn to Luke 15. We're going to go through the entire chapter. So it is going to be uh, fast. So uh, listen good, okay? Um, but anyway, today we're going to look at two uh, ways that God loves you, two ways that God loves you, two truths that should encourage you as well, okay? So uh, no life is wasted if you turn to God by faith. I know some of you out there listening to this and some people, maybe your life connection group or your small group are thinking, I've gone too far. God cannot uh, do anything with me. I've, I've messed up too much. And that's just not the case. Uh, if you're in prison, 
God can still use you. Look what he did with Joseph in prison. If you're a uh, somebody that has been immoral, God can still use you. Look what God did with David after his event with uh, the woman that he had adultery with. Uh, if God, God can use you, no matter where you've been and what you've done, God is in the business of taking broken vessels and putting them together and using them right where they are. Okay, So I think that's important to remember as we continue to do what God wants us to do and seek what he has in his seek his plan for us as well. All righty. Well, uh, let's go over the sermon and then we'll get right into it. Number one. Okay, this is what we're talking about. The first truth is this, or the first way that you can know God loves you is God loves you even if you've lived an outwardly wasteful life. And Jesus' teaching drew a crowd of people. He had tax collectors and sinners who, from the perspective of the Pharisees, had wasted their lives. So if Jesus was the Messiah, why spend time with people who had wasted their lives on sin? Why not spend time with those who had spent their living out of the commands of God? So the Pharisees don't get it. So what Jesus does is he does what he, what he tends to do when he's talking to the Pharisees because he goes into parables. Now the reason for a parable is to reveal the truth to those who are truly spiritual and understanding and to hide the truth from those who are spiritually obtuse, who don't understand spiritual things. So this is what he says. Man has a hundred sheep, he loses one, he goes after it. All right, so we have one sheep that this man goes after of the hundred. But he doesn't stop there. He says the woman has two coins, 10 coins, sorry. She loses one of those. Now, it's worth a lot more now because one sheep out of 100 to, to that shepherd is a, is, a, is a lot. It's a sheep, but comparatively, it's not as much as one coin would be to someone that only has 10 coins. So now he goes to 10 coins, loses one, searches the house, and rejoices over the final coin. And Jesus comes to the lost. And he goes and he talks about that they're in heaven, and heaven rejoices when the lost has been found. So here's the point. When the lost is found, rejoicing takes place. Jesus saves the lost sheep of Israel, sinners like the tax collectors and other sinners. And there's much rejoicing in heaven over those that are being found. I remember we talked about them in Luke 14 last week. The blind, the maimed, the lame. And by the way, that's us. That's the Gentiles, the sinners, the ones that are nobody has any use for. And then, then after he goes through those parables, he tells a third parable. And it's directed directly at the self-righteous Pharisees. He said, a man had two sons. Now think about this story in two acts. Um, so we ha act one is this. The younger son demands his share of the inheritance. The younger son received one-third of his inheritance. Now, you don't receive inheritance till when? What happens? When do you think about getting your inheritance? When you're just kind of hanging out with somebody or, or what? No, you think about getting your inheritance when? Right, when somebody dies. That's right. So that's, he's saying, Dad, I'm gonna, I want to act like you're already dead. That's kind of what he's saying to his dad. Um, so he says, you know, I, I just don't have an interest in a relationship. I just want your stuff. So every person in the crowd, they're furious when they hear this story. And, you know, by the way, this was this this uh, culture, as many Eastern cultures are, is a is what they call a a shame or an honor culture. So in other words, if you treated your father that way, you're cut off from the family. So the father should treat such a rebel as if he were dead. 
So all the wealth in the ancient cultures were tied up in uh, mainly their land, but also their, their stock. But anyway, so he, he's tied up in land. So what he has to do is if he's going to give his son a third of the property, what does he have to do? He has to sell it to give it to his youngest son. So um, the father uh, gives this to his son. As soon as he gives it to him, the son's gone. And what does he do? He gets as far away as he can, a faraway country, as far as he can get. And so what he thought, he says, I'm going to go to this land of opportunity. And it's in this land of opportunity that I get to see all the, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get experience, excuse me, everything that I wasn't able to experience on my dad's farm. It's going to be, you know, a country come to city type thing. And I'm going to get out there and man, I'm going to have a blast. And so um, when he gets us that far away, what happens is he lives, he just spends his money like it's water. And uh, he goes after everything you can imagine when it comes to pleasure. And then he had nothing. So what he had to do is when a famine came to the land, his friends had run off on him. He had no more money. Nobody cared about him. The women didn't want to be around him anymore because he didn't give them their money. So he had no choice but to hire himself out. So he got a job feeding pigs. Now, those of you that know anything about the Jews know that pigs were, were bad. Pigs were bad. And so that was a bad thing. You would be constantly unclean. Uh, every time you touched uh, anything that had to do with a pig, and so it was just a terror. It was like a really, really bad. It was like the worst job you could possibly get in, in Israel. But he got a job not just with the pigs. He got a job feeding pigs. And so he, he was so broke, all he could do was eat pig food. That's it. That's all he had. What they call the, you know, the, the shells of the beans type thing. He just ate the shells, the outer, the outer husk of the bean. That's all he had. So this is where Jesus should have ended the story. A lot of us think, you know, we think, well, the tax collection sinners, they'd have hung their head in shame. They knew that, yeah, he gets what he deserves. That's, that's right. That's what he gets. He didn't honor his parents. You know, shame and honor. Remember we talked about that. They knew that they were like his wasteful son and the Pharisees would have gone, yes. And amen. And he would have said, that serves that boy right to be broke and starving the way he treated his dad. The story didn't end in a pig pen. And no one in the audience expected this turn. This is the twist. And the, what happens is the boy comes to his senses. He says this, I'll go home. I'll repent. I'll confess my sin. And he says these words, maybe my father will hire me as a servant. He has no expecta expectation of being anything more than a servant, but at least he would eat again. Now, the boy's going to try to earn his way back in the family, be a servant, pay off the debt, those kind of things. So that's kind of his idea. So here's the shocking part. The father's waiting. Yes, he has sleepless nights. He, couldn't, he didn't know where his son was. He didn't even know if he was alive. And so he is waiting on him, praying for this day. And, what, and, and it's obvious because he sees his son in the distance. So he had to be looking down that road or across that field all the time. He sees his son in the distance and he runs. Now, in the ancient culture, a father running to a son would have been very undignified. They would not have done that. They wouldn't have demonstrated honor. They don't run after people, do they? And then when the dad gets to him, the son begins to confess immediately. He has a speech, but his father cuts him off. What does he do? He brings him the best robe. 
He brings him a ring, which means his position and authority. He gives him sandals, which was a luxury. He gives him the fattened calf, probably saving it for a wedding feast for uh, someone in the family or uh, who knows what it was for, but certainly it could have been that kind of a big party that was going to take place. And then in verse 21, and we're going to read that together, um, verse 21 of chapter uh, 15. Let me get there real quick. The Bible says this. Uh, he longed to be filled with what felt... Uh, sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. That's chapter 16. Okay. I went too far. All right, verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, I, Pastor Tommy brought out that, that part of the, the narrative because he wanted us to see what repentance looks like. Repentance is not trying to earn your way back. Not trying to get God's favor by doing stuff. Repentance is recognizing that I am a sinner. I am sinful. I'm in desperate need of redemption. And I am not even worthy to be in God's presence. And then what I do is I confess it all to God. And not celebrating a wasted life, but what was lost had been found. Celebrate. What, what did he celebrate? That the son had come to his senses. Now, think on the opposite side. We already thought about what the Pharisees might say. Now let's Think about the other people. Maybe a tax collector was out there. Maybe a prostitute was out there. Maybe a sinner was out there. And he said, there's hope. And they, they probably could ask, could God love me that way? They probably asked that. And, and, and the truth cries out to them, God loves you even if you have lived an outwardly wasteful life. Let me say that again. God loves you even if you have lived an outwardly wasteful life. That's what he's telling the sinner. That's what he's telling the, the tax collector. That's what he's telling the prostitute. That God loves you. And that's the point. That's the amazing love of God. It's, you know, it, it, it seems like he's out of his mind that he would love people who treated him like that. But Tim Keller says it this way. He said, God is a prodigal God. That he would love people like us seems like such a waste. But this is the good news. God loves you even if you've lived that outwardly wasted life. Outwardly, that means everybody knows it. There's no hiding it. You, you know, you've wasted your time. You messed up your, your resources. You've, you've given away your opportunities or you've squandered your opportunities. The you know, opportunity knocked on your door and you kind of slammed the door in its face. Maybe, maybe everyone's turned on you because of your wastefulness. But let me tell you somebody who has not. God. If you've lived wastefully, come home to your heavenly Father, because in a relationship with the heavenly Father, there with the heavenly Father, there is no shame to feel. You see, because the Father doesn't shame the Son, He embraces. Jesus endured your shame for you. There's no punishment to suffer, because instead of a feast, Jesus has been punished for you. There's no debt for you to repay. He doesn't ask the Son to pay back. The, the Father absorbs the cost. And Jesus also has absorbed the price that was paid for your sin. If you've lived your life wastefully, the good news is that your heavenly Father desires to lavish you with his love and grace. You'll come to your senses and come home to him. All right, the first truth, that God loves you even if you've lived a wasteful life. Second truth, 
God loves you even that was outwardly. God loves you if you even if you've lived an inwardly wasteful life. This is a hack too. We have another brother. Man had two sons. Remember two sons. So we had a hundred sheep. We had ten coins, and now we have two sons. So this dad is going to lose half of what he has when he loses one son. So imagine as Jesus told the younger brother, his eyes must have, about the younger brother, his eyes must have fixed on the tax collectors and the sinners that they could know the love of God. Now what he does, he talks about the older brother. And so his eyes are now fixed on who? The Pharisees, right. Even though they were extremely religious, they were extremely ignorant of the love of God. So the older brother was a description of them. And while the younger brother had been wasteful, the older brother had been just as wasteful. He lived that inwardly wasteful life. You go to verse 25, and it tells us, now his older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. All right? So this is what we have going on. The old brother comes out of the field. He's been working hard. He hears the music, and he wants to know what, in the, what probably saying something like what the devil is going on. Now, he's not like his father. He wasn't waiting for his brother to come back. So he just kept on working just like his, nothing had ever happened. So servant says this, come to the party. But what happens is the elder brother refuses. Remember Luke 14, the parable of the feast. The father comes out and, you know, he invited all those people and they wouldn't come. The father now comes out and the older brother, he does the same thing. He's not going to come to the party. Now pay attention because some of you are older brothers. You've lived an inwardly wasteful life. On the outside, you look like you have your eye together. But, you, you know, you, you attend church, you live a moral life, you haven't cheated on your spouse, you, you do your taxes, you don't cuss or drink, you have a good reputation, but you've wasted your life because your heart is cold to God and his mission to seek and save the lost. You can't rejoice in the Lord's work because you've wasted your life on self-righteousness. You know, tried to build yourself up how good you are. Look how many years I've served. I've never disobeyed your command. Be honest, you put yourself on a pedestal and you look down on others. Self-righteousness is this, I'm better than other people. You forget Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. So you've wasted your life on self-righteousness, but you've also wasted your life on keeping score. The older brother was quick to point out, you know, he took your property and he wasted on prostitutes. And he didn't, he didn't uh, compare himself to God's standard, did he? What he did is he compared himself to somebody that was dirty, that was living a dirty, low-down, no-good life. And we kind of do that, don't we? You know, you, maybe you gossip about the failures of others, and uh, maybe you delight when you see someone fail because it proves that you're better. And you know, you say, "Hey, look at me! I didn't fail." And when those who aren't as good as us receive grace on what they do, they don't deserve, we get furious. And then you waste your life on self-pity. Here the elder brother is, and he says, where's my party? Where's my calf? I've been here. I've been doing what, I, what I'm supposed to be doing. Father, you've always had me, but you've ignored me, is what he says. And for you, there's some of you, maybe some in your Life Connection group, that are wandering, wondering the same thing. After all, you, you have kept the rules. You are a good person. Uh, when are you going to catch your break? Elder brothers tend to be self-centered unloving, and they hate grace. Jesus' point is this. The older brother is no different than the younger. Both have wasted their lives. Both wanted the blessings of the father, but not his love. The older brother needs repentance just as much as the younger brother does. So maybe somebody in your life connecting group is that older brother. You've cleaned yourself up on the outside, but it's a mess on the inside. You don't want intimacy with God, just God's stuff, right? 
An inwardly wasteful life is dangerous. Don't fool yourself into thinking you're good with God when you're just as lost as the person who's wasting his life in the pig pen. Matter of fact, it's probably less chance people like that will ever come to Christ because they think they are good enough. All right, so here's a cliffhanger. We really don't know how the story ends. Does the elder brother repent? And the question is really not about the elder brother. Who is it about? It's about you and me. So if you're the younger brother, run to the father. If you're the elder brother, humble yourself. Followers of Jesus, be warned. It's easy to forget grace and make your faith about what you've done. The elder brother was a prideful son and a hateful brother. The gospel is this. Jesus is the elder brother that you need. Have you ever thought about Christ as your brother? He knew the agony of his father over his lost children, and our elder brother left the glory of his heavenly home, and he came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus came to bring us home, even though we've squandered away every gift that he gave us. He came to rescue us, by, not by opening up his wallet to buy us out, but by giving his very life. And on the cross, Jesus was stripped naked and died in your place so you could receive his robe of righteousness just like the Father gave the Son that robe. Jesus is willing to give up everything to bring you home. Younger brother, Christ came to heaven from heaven to earth for you. Elder brother, you won't stop until your heart is melted by your true elder brother, Jesus Christ, who did it for you. Let's get into the discussion questions in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to continue our series on the prodigal. First of all, starting the conversation, again, choose one that you think will work. One is a good thing. I think all of us can talk about time wasters. Maybe it's our phone. Maybe it's the television. Maybe it's, um, you know, things that we, they're not evil things. We just waste time, right? Or, or you might want to use, how do you define a wasted life? Well, if you, if you were to see a life, how would you define it? That is a wasted life, right? And then prodigal. Um, uh, maybe uh, before you get to the class, I would get some resources and, Kind of like what Pastor Tommy did with Tim Keller, talk about what prodigal means. And so maybe uh, you can have the word defined, the prodigal word defined, especially as it comes to the biblical understanding of it. All right. Observation. Let's get jump into that. Uh, number one, why did Jesus teach in parables? We told you that because he wanted to, he wanted to teach the truth to those that wanted to listen, and he wanted to hide the truth from the spiritually obtuse, those people who didn't care. How do the parables help us understand the kingdom of God? Well, they give us kingdom principles couched in everyday language so that we can understand how the kingdom of God is supposed to work. Okay, look at the two parables that proceed from the parable of the two sons, Luke 15, 1 through 10. Uh, what's the point of these two parables? Uh, how, are they, how are these parables connected to and help us understand the parable of the two sons? Well, we know that these people have lost something that's very important to them. And they will do anything to find it. They do everything and anything to find it. Very similar to what the father did when his son left him and he lost his son, didn't know where he was. He was willing to do whatever it took to, so that when his son came back, he was ready for him, right? Same thing. Uh, so how does that, uh, number three, reflect on how the father responded to his wayward son who surrendered, squandered away his inheritance? Well, he waited on him. Matter of fact, we know if he saw him from a distance, he had to be looking over the field too, right? So he saw him from a distance. So his father would always gaze over the over that field and or down that road and say, oh, if he would just come back, I would run to him. And the father then 
ran to him. What did the father's response to his wayward son teach about the love of God? That the love of God is waiting for us if we will come to him and repent of our sin. He is waiting there for us every single time. He will never turn you back. Number four, how did the elder brother respond to the homecoming of his younger brother? Well, he was, he was, he was mad and bitter and angry. He wasn't happy at all. What was Jesus trying to teach the crowd as he told the story of the elder brother's response and the other brother, younger brother's homecoming? That's what he, he was looking straight at the Pharisees, if you remember the story, uh, what we talked talk to, talk to you about in the sermon. He was looking straight at the Pharisees the whole time he was teaching that. And man, they were, they were, they knew that Jesus was getting them. And so he was saying, that's you. You're the older brother. You're the one that doesn't want to help sinners be found, right? Um, all right, so that's what he was trying to teach the crowd as he told the story of the elder brother's response. So basically, you know, the whole thing is, is that this elder brother, his response is so critical. Uh, that they, they probably were, as we said, enraged by what, by what happened. But he was saying, as an elder brother, we can't be that way. we got to be people of grace that open our arms to the wayward so that they come back. That's, what's, that's what it's about. So when somebody comes to their senses and they confess their sin and they turn back to God, we need to be open to what he's doing in their lives. So what they do is they, they're not really the, um, when the younger brother comes back, it's not a matter of that he was celebrating wasted life, but he was celebrating that this one who was lost has been found. Uh, number six, how does this passage help us understand the gospel? Well, remember we talked about, this is the gospel story. And so if you want to point your life connection group back to this, it is pointing to the elder brother that came and took our place and paid our time. The one who then, the father then blanketed us, gave us a robe that covered our sin and gave us a robe of righteousness, just like the elder brother, uh, the father did for the son. The elder brother comes and he wants, and he came, Jesus Christ came to make a way for you. That's what Jesus does. That's how Jesus operates. He cares. That's, that's Jesus. And aren't you glad that Jesus didn't look at us and say, why are you being so good to him, Dad? No, he opens his arms of grace and he says, you're welcome here. Matter of fact, he's the one that's going to defend us. Isn't that right? All right, um, let's interpret the scripture. And as I said, the interpretation is talking about um, summarize these verses and, uh, and use a sentence that kind of gets the whole thing together. But certainly... We know that we're talking about the love of God and the, the God loves us inwardly and outwardly and wants us to have grace to receive those who are willing to repent and come back. That would be a good one. Some others you might want to use, but uh, it's very easy. Just pick out some main points of the message. You can go back and just kind of highlight them and maybe uh, feed them to the people and they can uh, get them back to you. Or maybe they have one of their own and that's good too. And then, of course, theological reflection. We need to understand how this reflects Jesus, the gospel. And, of course, the gospel is Jesus uh, Jesus being the elder son, who uh, the real, the true elder son, not this bad elder son, but the real true elder son that is welcoming and full of grace and happy that the son came back. All right, the application. 
How have you been like the wayward son in this story? Well, uh, you know, some, many of us have drifted away and we needed to come back and confess. Uh, we have people come forward uh, weekly and say, hey, listen, I messed up. I've done it wrong and I'm ready to come back. I confess my sin. And how has God impressed you with his love, even though you're in seasons of wayward living? He never lets you go. He's always looking for you. He's always wanting to, to, to pour his, his incredible love on you. He wants to give you the best of the best. All we got to do is come back, confess, and repent. Number two, how have you been like the elder brother in this story? Maybe some of you are grumpy, mad, angry, bitter when somebody who's been away from God, and there you are, been serving God all your life, and here they come back, and everybody's so happy that they came back, and you're just, you're just grumpy. You don't extend grace at all. And you, you're, you're, you have pity on yourself. You have self-pity and, you know, I've been there, that type of thing, that idea. And it's about me. I wanted to be about me. Why isn't it, not, why isn't it about me instead of him? I'm the one that's always been here. There's all kinds of ways that we can be like the elder brother. Second part of that question. Why do you think Christians have a tendency to be more like the elder brother than the younger brother? Because we think if we do enough good stuff that God will love us more. And so we go back and we start counting up all the good things we've done. And doesn't that go against grace and the gospel? And yet we do that and say, why is he getting all the attention? Shouldn't I get the attention? I've been here. I'm the one. You know, we have lost people coming into our church. And thank God we don't have a church like this. But there are lots of churches where lost people coming in and people say, I need some help. I need some, I need some benefits. I, I, need, I need to, you know, whatever it is. And it's sad because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Number three, how do you think the elder brother mentally can affect, mentality, excuse me, can affect the life of a church? Well, when you start to get that way, you start to get judgmental, self-centered, unloving. And then Pastor Tommy used this, this term, and man, this, this about knocked me down. But he said, and you hate grace. Don't be that person, you know? Why do you, th uh, let's go into the second part of that. Uh, what can we do to avoid an elder brother syndrome within the church? Um, well, um, if you're, and that's, remember, that's an inwardly wasted life. What do we need to do? We need to do just like the, the youngest son. We need to repent. We need to turn away from our sin and turn to God and develop that ongoing intimate relationship with him. This is not about religious keeping the dot, keeping the check marks ready. This is about doing what God asks us to do and being thrilled to do it, right? Um, let's jump to number four and we'll finish up. Considering all these parables, all three parables in Luke 15, how can you do a better job this week? And I, I like that word this week of celebrating God's work in the lives of people who've come home to him. You know, maybe you could have a party for it. Why not? Kill the fatty calf, bring, have hamburgers, you know? Uh, why not get a robe? Get them, get, you know, get them some nice clothes or get them something that uh, they can wear around. Uh, why not give them the ring and, you know, whatever that means. I mean, maybe give them something special that uh, demonstrates that uh, they have uh, a place in God's kingdom and, and you want them to be a part, okay? And sometimes it's just opening our arms to people and say, hey, man, you're welcome here. That's what it's all about. And my prayer is that Northwood will always be that welcoming church that's been for the last 50 years and never give up on people and demonstrate grace to people. So let's, this week, do something measurable and doable that'll help you celebrate God's work in the lives of people who've come home.
All right, guys, that's what we have for you this week. I hope that helped you. And if it does, just uh, every, like I said, every now and again, it doesn't hurt for you to send me a little message and say, Pastor Trey, when you said that really meant something to me or what, something like that. And by the way, you can do that, Pastor Tommy, too. Do Pastor Tommy, that message meant a lot to me. You know, he uh, some sometimes he only hears the bad stuff because that's the only people that write. And so make sure that uh, he is, uh, you're encouraged, uh, send him a, a little note that says, thank you, Pastor. I appreciate you preaching the truth and uh, whatever it takes, okay? Anyway, God bless you. I appreciate you coming and being a part. I hope that this has meant something to help you with your Life Connection group. So let's pray, and we will get to it on Sunday morning. Father, thank you so much that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Lord, thank you that your love is forever, that your love does not depend on whether I'm good or bad. Your love is always the same. Lord, you love me on my good days and you love me on my bad days. You know, the times that I feel like you ought to love me, you don't love me any more than when I mess up. That's the God that you are. But still, you love me so much that you're always bringing me to a place where I'm repenting. Whether I'm the outwardly wasted son, where I've gone and just blown it all and everybody knows about it, or whether I'm the inwardly wasteful son, where I've gone through and hid it from everybody and I've held the bitterness in and I've been angry and I've not been willing to let go of it. Lord, forgive us. We repent, we confess, we come to you. Now, Lord, I pray that we would be always open, always accepting, that we would demonstrate grace to those who are the lowest and the least. We thank you for what you do in our lives every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.